Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Kudzu Radio Hour. Kudzu Radio Hour number 124. This podcast was recorded on Saturday, October 10th, 2020. Uh, the subject that we're going to be discussing today is the greatest instrumentals of all time. Should be interesting. The program today is brought to you by that band from Los Angeles that we all love, the Boxmasters. The Boxmasters have a smoking hot new album out called Light Rays that's already getting rave reviews coast to coast and is not even really out yet. They've released several singles from the upcoming album, but the whole album is going to be available soon on vinyl, CD, or download, so be sure to get your copy. Uh, Go ahead and reserve it now, man. It's good. Good stuff. Features the hit single Satellite Guy, Breathe Easy, Light Rays, and the new single called Learn to Be. In my opinion, it's that band's best album ever. The album's going to be available very soon. And also, mark your calendar for next summer. Of course, the COVID made uh, 2020's tour it had to be canceled, like so many other things. But uh, hopefully everything's going to be great in the uh, summer of 21. Boxmasters are going to go back out and tour the USA and even go to Europe. So put that on your calendar. It's going to be great. I know the band's chomping at the bits to play for you. That's all I know. I mean, they're very excited. And they continue to write and record just more and more and more great material. So check them out at theboxmasters.com. Or follow them on social media on Facebook or Instagram or both or all of the above. Kudzu Radio Hour also brought to you by the fine folks at Springer Mountain Farms. Fresh chicken responsibly raised on family farms with no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, no animal byproducts ever. Get more information or order online at SpringerMountain.com. That's SpringerMTN.com. Not only is Springer Mountain Chicken healthier for you, it also tastes very, very good. I can attest to that. It really does. It's something about it. It just, I guess it's because it's, uh, you know, raised the right way, you know, healthy. It produces a uh, healthy chicken. And that's, uh, that's good stuff, man. It's really good. If you haven't seen the current issue of Kudzu Magazine, what are you waiting for? <laughs> it's free, 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 free. Issue number 39. And you can check it out uh, online at kudzumag.com. K-U-D-Z-O-O-M-A-G.com. Check out Kudzu Magazine. And also, if you have any comments about the magazine or the podcast, where we welcome your uh, cards and letters. Uh, actually, we welcome your emails at kudzumag at yahoo.com. That's K-U-D-Z-O-O-M-A-G, kudzumag at yahoo.com. Well, in keeping with the uh, theme of the day, we're going to play a, a really cool instrumental for you now. It's a total classic from 1973. From the Almond Brothers Band, written by Mr. Dickie Betts, of course. 
and featuring the piano artistry of Chuck Lavelle. I never get tired of this song, and I, you know, it's just a classic. We're going to do a little Jessica, okay, and then we will be back with the boys and talk about all kinds of stuff. Thanks for listening.
Of course, that was the great Almond Brothers Band and the song called Jessica, written by Dickie Betts, came out in 1973 on the Brothers and Sisters album. One of the magic years in my life, 1973, as far as music. Uh, actually, 71 to 75 were, like, I guess my most uh, formative years for some reason. I don't know, but it was cool. Uh, I want you to please, folks, please, 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 ha! Please welcome my uh, co-host for the program. Three guys who have a combined 2,000 years of experience in the music business. Wait, 2,000 <laughs> That's right. Years, is that right? That's right. Billy That's Eli, right. Patrick Beach, and Jim Hemphill. Hello, guys. Good, good day. Good day, gentlemen. It's good to see y'all. I, I have to start by asking how's everything in Sparkle City. It's, uh... It's fine. I had the invitation from Colleen and Laura to go and meet them at Barnes and Noble today. Didn't feel up to it. I wanted to, but I didn't feel up to it. So. Y'all are having some weather, aren't you? Yeah, some weather, some lightning storms and all this weekend. And, uh, you know, whatever. It is what it is. 66 beautiful degrees, though, and overcast. And you just never know when the storms come where I live. If there's any kind of lightning whatsoever, the power gets knocked out. So It hits your house. Yep. <laughs> yeah, every time, every time. So, guys, uh, before we do our recommendations, I want to play the high-fidelity game again. It went so well last week. <laughs> so, uh, each one of you is going to get a different question. And what you do is you just spout off five answers you don't really have any time much to think about it but um i'm gonna start with uh patrick and uh when i give you the subject just name five of them as quick as you can it should be interesting all, all right. right patrick beats the greatest drummers of all time drummers five of them <laughs> five uh, greatest drummers uh Geez, uh, not my style, but Neil Peart, uh, John Bonham, uh, Ringo Starr. Oh, yeah, good, good choice, man. Um, Mo Tucker, Who? sort of. I, I didn't hear that. Mo, Mo Tucker, Mo Tucker, oh, okay, and Buddy Rich. Yeah, respectable list, man. It's pretty good, I tell you. I, I can't believe you didn't put Charlie Watts, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, Char <laughs> Charlie Watts is just assumed. Dan, Charlie Watts Dan is just Lynch. assumed. Tony Thompson. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's good. Okay. Well, let's see. Um, well, uh, Billy Eli, we're going to get you to name off the top five female solo artists ever. Name them. Um. Okay. Uh. Okay. <laughs> Maria McKee. Maria McKee. Woo! You got my. I picked yeah. that one for. I picked that one for you, Buffin, because. Uh, Thank you. I, I'm not a. I'm not just a huge fan of all the stuff she writes, but she writes enough good stuff that it, she keeps it interesting, and she can sing anything anybody, anybody writes, and anything she wants to interpret, she. She does that well. 
uh, Diana Ross after she left the Supremes and did, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, kind of a flirted with disco a little bit, but it was still kind of that Motowny, you know, disco popsy stuff in the, in the seventies. Uh, number three, hmm, I'm, I'm thinking here, uh, I could, could pick somebody that's like a straight, you know, entertainer more than a singer or a musician, you know, somebody like Cher, but, uh, that that's for solo artists. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, we, we were having this discussion yesterday, uh, me and, uh, me and Jim and Patrick about, uh, it came up about, uh, we were talking about Eddie Van Halen and Diamond, Diamond, uh, David Lee Roth and, you know, and him being kind of a Vegas guy. And she's, she to me is kind of like a, a Vegas show person, but yeah, I, she, I put her on the list and I'm going to catch a bunch of flack for this. Oh, <laughs> uh, Celine Dion, who I'm not a fan of, but damn, she can sing oh, yeah, and she damn, can. she's, and damn, she makes a good, you know, kind of adult contemporary record. And, uh, and number five, uh, Stevie Nicks. Ooh. Well, stand back. All right. I, I've stayed away from country oh, genre because that was Billy, too obvious. I, Go ahead, Pat. That's a fine list, but at, at, at this very moment, as good as your list was, Aretha Franklin is climbing out of her grave to come kick your ass. Right. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and here's the thing, man. Yeah. You can, you, we only get five choices. Mm. <laughs> you know, and I, and I try I tried to sp I tried to spread it around the genres, and right. I and I went with Diana Ross, but, right. but right. yeah. <laughs> well, at least we know you're not racist. That's good. It's, uh, yeah, we yeah we knew that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, I think like this day and age, every one of us can be accused of being racist at any moment for anything you say. So I mean, I know <laughs> because I have gone through it recently. I was accused of being a racist, and I'm like, me? Are you kidding? I never saw color in my life. I mean, gosh. Uh, the um, I thought that was a pretty good list, though, uh, actually. And, yeah, there was a time when I first got married when I listened to, forgive me, but I listened to Celine Dion quite a bit. Um and, and uh, like I said, I was trying to spread the genres and I stayed away from country, which is, as you know, is a genre I work in the most, but, uh, I, you know, I was, I was trying to spread it out and, and, and uh, and get some different stuff. And, well, that's and good. That's good. You, and you got to admit, man, for that adult contemporary stuff, man, she's hard to beat. You know who I could have added, could have put on that list that would have satisfied the country and the, uh, adult contemporary thing would have been Katie Lang. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, God, I mean, what a singer. Magnificent set of pipes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Phenomenal. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, she, she is, she is the vocals to me. What Roy Orbison was to vocals. You just listen yeah. to it and you go, Nah, man, she's a space. Well, I mean, yeah, I got that duet of her and doing. her and Roy doing crying together. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I remember that. It's yeah, a that mind was... blower. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, Jim's Jim's five. Oh my, this should be interesting. Jim, I want you to name the five greatest keyboard players ever. It can be Hammond, it can be piano, synthesizer, keyboards. Five great keyboard players. Five great keyboard players. Do they have to be famous or just really good? Yes, yeah, whatever Jim wants them to be. It can. There's no rules. 
Okay. That, that's an that's an interesting one to throw me because I'm probably the mo the the least keyboard friendly guy uh, that you'll ever meet. Yeah, no, that's why I picked uh, it. <laughs> well, that's good. Okay. Number one, Ian Stewart. Uh, oh. That's a good one. <laughs> that, that's a good number one. Uh, number two, Little Richard. Number three, yeah. Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, yeah. Number four, uh, Greg Allman on the on the, on the B3. three. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, baby. And number five, Ian McLagan. Yep. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Good. number six, Funky Donnie Fritz. <laughs> Donnie Fritz. There's, there's, there's a lot of them out there, and and uh, and so those yeah, are the first and ones. One, that came and one of them we've kind of worked with, man. Earl Pool Ball, check. I mean, Earl yeah, Pool Ball on his bird, oh, yeah. played on those Birds <laughs> records, played on and all those Johnny Cash records. Jim, did you forget yeah. that you were in a band with a keyboard player? I was. <laughs> and I actually. <laughs> I actually like that guy. No one else did. I like him, but um, okay. Nah, it's uh, true. okay, Buff, for your questions, man. My. Five guys that left their bands to go solo that should have stayed in the band they were in. Oh my oh, God, man. that's difficult. Jeez. Oh, uh. Well, you I were having get... neurological issues this week, man. So I'm either making your brain exercise or I'm making fun of you either way. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Can get, I, can get okay. you, I can get you started, Bob. I can get you started. Tom Peterson. <laughs> Tom Peterson. Yeah, that's one of Not them. Not a good career move. Uh, Ace Fraley. Yeah, got a good good choice. Yeah, this uh, was hard. This, this really was a harder category than, than the other three. It really is kind of kind of hard to think of. Left the bands and should have stayed in them. Uh, let me see. Roger McGuinn. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Questionable, but yeah. That yeah, was, it is. Yeah. It's very questionable. But my brain is like working so hard well, right now. Except I would say uh, I would say that that your that that uh, that your your choice there has merit, and here's why I would say that I really liked him in the birds, and he and he went out on his own and he did that solo stuff. But that solo stuff he did that really was like two albums. Yeah, it was, to me it wasn't nearly as good as the birds. Forty years was bird stuff, and now he's big again doing a reformed birds with marty stewart's band yeah but it's basically the birds man. yeah anyway uh, yeah good call okay go ahead um yeah i had one and then i started thinking about what you were saying um i was gonna say uh hold on okay. we'll have to uh, I, I hope the audience is playing along at home. I'm, <laughs> I hope so too. I hope that I'm not driving them insane because this is this is uh, this is a lot harder than the categories that I pick. <laughs> right. Uh, the, uh, you you started it. You started it. Yeah, I'm afraid so. <laughs> and and now I have to say, uh, no, I'm not going to say that one. That's not right. I'm not going to say that. Uh. How about uh, Jason from Jason and the Scorchers? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that too, man. I think he. Lo I mean, he's not bad now, but he lost a whole lot of heat when he when he yeah. left that band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, for the risk of repeating, I would say Maria McKee. Uh, 
Uh, I like her solo stuff, but when she was with yeah, that's still that's still a that's she, a good legitimate choice. When she was Lone Justice was so much better as a unit. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, just awesome. How many is that? Five, four, five, or twelve? Yeah, uh, I think it's two or three. <laughs> it's not two or three. <laughs> Say they're four that's or five four. on there. That's four, man. Okay. All right. Oh, I know what the other one's going to be. Um, is it, uh, Paul is McCartney. Martin? Um, <laughs> well, man, let me just say. <laughs> I okay, know, he, I know. No, a case can be made for that. I mean, yeah, well. Sure. I, mean, I do love all the stuff the that he did after the, I mean, with Wings, but the Paul McCartney stuff right after the oh, Beatles like was not. Near, and and yes. No, I'm talking about the Ram album and stuff like that. Oh. Uh. Uh, it was not to me as exciting as the Beatles, but he got back on board when he got with Wings. They started really popping out some great stuff, you know. Um, but anyway, you know, given any time, I'd probably have a totally different list. You could have stole Ringo, huh? You could also used Ringo Starr that that uh, that Patrick oh, yeah. used for his for his drummer's list. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> well. Okay, well, I've struggled through and kind of uh, sort of semi... You you redeemed yourself very nicely. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you. um, So, it's time to uh, look at our uh, recommendations of the day. Um, I guess... uh, I think I'll just go ahead and go first since I've got them pulled up. I mean, why why not? While I've still got a little bit of energy... (laughs) Okay, for movie, bump da da da. One of the movies that I really, really love came out in 1988. It's called The Mighty, based on the book Freak the Mighty by Rodman Philbrick. The movie stars Sharon Stone, Gina Rollins, Gillian Anderson from the X Files, Harry Dean Stanton. Oh, oh, I like her. James Gandolfini. And Macaulay Culkin's brother, Kyron Culkin. (laughs) And even Meatloaf is in the movie. Yeah, baby. It's the story of two boys. Kevin, a.k.a. Freak, is a very highly intelligent 13-year-old who has a crippling disease that forces him to walk around on leg braces and crutches. His best friend is a big boy. Reminds me of myself. Um... Kind of a misfit named Max. And he starts carrying Kevin around on his shoulders. And uh, combined, they combine their, you know, and also the the big boy is dyslexic and all this kind of stuff. He gets picked on a lot. But they combine their efforts and become one formidable uh, person, so to speak. Well, um, Freak is given the flights of active imagination where he, uh, he pictures himself as a gallant knight in days of old. So they have lots of flashbacks to the knights and the armor and all that kind of stuff. But it's a, it's a beautiful story of real friendship. And, of course, it has its very sad parts as well. But it's a, it's a, The Mighty is just a great, great movie about friendship. And it's highly recommended. Okay. Record. The guy that I just got through saying 
should have never left his band. <laughs> How in the world did that happen? Ace Frehley and his new album, Origins Volume 2. I uh, never would think that I would ever recommend an album of cover tunes, ever. But, I got this, and uh, it's just fun. It's just absolutely fun. I don't know if it's because Ace cleaned up his act and got off the drugs and all that stuff, but he's playing at his top, yeah, top tier right now. And uh, it's songs that he does on the album include uh, Led Zeppelin's Good Times, Bad Times, Mountains Never in My Life, Space Trucking by Deep Purple, The Beatles, I'm Down, Rolling Stones, Jumping Jack Flash, Jimi Hendrix, Manic Depression. There's even a uh, new rendition of an old Kiss song from years ago called She. He brings some guests to the party. He's got Lita Ford singing one on there. Robin Zander from Cheap Trick singing one. Former Kiss guy who plays with Grand Funk now, Bruce Kulick, is on there. And John Five who, although he played with Marilyn Manson, he really is a talented guitar player. But it's, I'll just say it's just plain fun. Ace Frehley Origins, Volume 2. My book uh, happened since last week because I had recommended the album, the box set of Bobby Bear Sings Shel Silverstein. I got so into the shell thing, I went looking, I went shell hunting, get it, shell hunting? shell hunting on uh, eBay and I found this uh, biography called A Boy Named Shell by Lisa Rogak. Uh, it's, uh, it's a great biography and it's an interesting man, very interesting. It's got his early life and um, talking about how he befriended uh, Hugh Hefner when Hugh was putting the first issue of Playboy together. It didn't. Uh, Hugh didn't even put a date on it because he he didn't think it was going to last past one issue. You know, he wasn't sure. But he, he ended up hiring Shell to be a writer and cartoonist for Playboy, so that was cool. And it goes on through Shell's life and his forays into children's books and uh, all the stuff with cartooning and songwriting and tells how he hooked up with Dr. Hook in the Medicine Show and they latched on to him and they started writing songs for them and, and continue to until they got to a point where they were infighting over royalties and money and Shell walked away. He said, that's, you know, that's not what it's about. I'm just not into that. And this is the same guy who would not cash his royalty checks from his book publisher. He just crammed them into the top drawer of his desk and let them stay there and uh, until the publisher said, hey, are you ever going to cash those checks? But interesting guy, and all about meeting Bobby Bear and forming a lifetime friendship, and um, all about Bear, Shell's many girlfriends, many, many girlfriends and children, and of course, finally, his death from a brain aneurysm, but it's uh, a very interesting guy, and one of the worst singing voices you'll ever hear in your life. He, he <coughs> did like four albums, and it sounds like a, I don't know what, I couldn't even describe what it sounds like. He's <laughs> a great songwriter, just a terrible, terrible singer, but that's okay. It's a very interesting book, and, and I, honestly, to be uh, trans totally transparent, I'm only like 
uh, three quarters of the way through it, but I wanted to go ahead and toss that one out. It uh, makes perfect sense to me. So anyway, there we go. That's it. And uh, that said, we'll go on to the next guy, whoever the next guy is. Billy. Yeah, I'll go. I actually, I actually prepared this week. Oh, that's good. I'm, uh, that's two weeks I, in a I row, was, actually. Hey, I was prepared last week, man. I know, that's just kind of a record. You got a run going. Two weeks in a row. And let me just say, do not get used to this. <laughs> I know that that raised the bar. Do not start expecting that I'm going to be prepared every week. Uh, I'm rereading something I read years and years ago, man. And it's, uh, it, it's not exactly light, fluffy reading. Uh, Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad. It, uh, it, anybody that's read it, man, knows, you know, it's the story of Marlowe and the, and, uh, the, in the Belgian Congo and, and Kurtz. And, and it was, uh, you know, it's a little lighthearted rom com wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I started reading that because I don't know, man, it just kind of seems to fit the times, doesn't it? Really does. Man, what a great book. And, uh, okay. And, and so my movie, my movie is Apocalypse Now. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I feel a theme coming on. Uh, and, uh, and your record is the soundtrack. To Apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. my, what a great my soundtrack. Record is, my record is the first album by The Doors. The Doors, it features the song, The <laughs> End. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on, man. That Tell me that's, tell me that's not good trifecta right there. Yeah, that's, that's really good. <laughs> And that and that opening scene of Apocalypse Now, where that weird sitar part is playing, oh, the doors that and they let this is the end, and it's like in slow mo, and you hear them slow the slowed down rotors of the, foo, foo, uh, and then the jungle blows up from the napalm, <laughs> and uh, I, here's the thing, uh, and I'm not gonna talk about these very much because everybody knows them really well, but uh. The thing about apocalypse now that's real easy to to lose if you're uh, when you're watching it because first of all, man, it's based on a Conrad story, so it's really it's really dark and there's it's it, it's so damn weird that it, you know parts of it are just surreal. But if you ever turn the sound down and just and I was doing this because I had had a handful of my magic thc enhanced gummy bears to keep the beer company in my stomach so uh i turned the sound down and was just looking at the pictures man the 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 movie playing man that is a that movie is beautifully shot man i mean the, oh yeah the light and the cinematography and all, i mean you're looking at it it's just it's a gorgeous movie you know and, and then you turn the sound up and it's people getting beheaded and all kind of stuff like that but Anyway, them are, uh, them are my three. Uh, I tell you what, let's get Jim's pick. Well, Ooh, I want to oh, make hey, a comment you. on that, Billy. I wanted to okay. tell you that uh, you kind of blew me away when you mentioned the Heart of Darkness and everything <laughs> because uh, back in college, that was like my favorite book. And, of course, I loved the movie. And I was majoring in theatrical arts and acting. And for my... Right. Finally, Sam, you could pick your own monologue, right? And I picked that whole thing that Brando did in the movie that, that about Kurt, being shot Kurt's between did. the eyes with a diamond. Yeah, man. Wow. And I just had to help. I did that monologue and the whole audience was just sitting there staring at me like, 
can't believe he's <laughs> even saying all that stuff, but it was great writing. Gosh, great writing. There's also a really good documentary about the making of that film. I believe it's called yeah. Hearts of Darkness. Yeah, yeah. and it's it true. is a very, very good. man. And you talk about a you talk about a project that seemed like it was cursed, man. Exactly. I mean, they, they had a monsoon like wash away half the sets and. Martin yep. Sheen was like, he was like, what, 34 and had a heart attack? They thought he was uh, still oh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, it was, great, it was a trial getting that made. But uh, again, the thing that struck me rewatching that this week uh, and, and was when I turned the sound down, you know, I mean, you get, you get sucked into the story. That is a beautifully shot movie, man. I mean, it just... The, the cinematography, it's gorgeous, you know, if you're not listening to the story. Right. Anyway, all right, Jim, what'd you, what'd you get this week? All right, well, uh, <clears throat> kind of a grab bag for me. I'm going to do my record first. It's a band from Louisville, Kentucky called White Reaper. And I'm picking their second record came out in, second full-length record came out in 2017. And it has a great title. It's called The World's Best American Band. And like that. Uh, it, it's, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of uh, wise guys. And the first record was called White Reaper Does It Again. Um, they, the record uh, was called Does It Again. Does It Again, exactly. <laughs> uh, they're, they're really not claiming to be the world's best American band. Uh, and they're not, but I really like this record. I first saw White Reaper about 2015 at a South by Southwest hanging out at the Fader Fort. The kills were coming on later. And, and uh, on the little back porch, this band sets up a four piece band, guitar, bass, keyboards, drums. And I hear the keyboard player, you know, doing a sound check. He has a tiny little keyboard and doing sound check and it sounded kind of eighties. And I thought, oh boy, here we go. But it, tur <laughs> but it, it, it turns out that they're kind of a, a power pop garage punk band where the keyboard player at that point was mostly just dancing around and occasionally played these little two finger lines on his keyboard and uh, had a really, the front man was a really good guitar player and ripped off some solos that I thought were pretty impressive. Um, and so I went out and bought their first record, uh, White Reaper Does It Again, which is a kind of a garage punk record. They're on polyvinyl uh, with bands like uh, uh, Beach Slang. And, um, the thing was, it was produced so everything was distorted. Not just the guitars, but the vocals, the drums, the bass, everything. Uh, but it had some catchy stuff on it, and it actually had a couple of nice guitar leads that were harmony guitars, even though obviously overdubbed because they only had one right. guitar player. Uh, but he showed some chops and showed some songwriting ability. Second, and uh, by the time the second record came out, they'd added a second guitar player. And their guitar players both have uh, <laughs> great names. The, 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 the original guitar player, who's also the front man and does a lot of the writing and does the singing, is named Tony Esposito, who, of course, was a hockey player. And then they went out and found another guitar player from Austin while they were here for South by Southwest. And his name, honestly, is Hunter Thompson. So... Uh, Get out of here. Uh -uh. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so they put out their second record, World's Best American Band, and the production is cleaned up. And it sound, th these guys are in their 20s, but they sound like a classic rock band. They listen to lots of Cheap Trick, a lot of The Cars, and a lot of Van Halen. And put together a record that I just thought was a terrific, terrific record. It was a throwback hard rock record with pop melodies. 
uh, great dual guitar work. They have since put out another record called, uh, I think it's called You Deserve Love. And they went too far for me on that one to the pop side, even though they still do the dual leads and people to ask them, hey man, you know, did you listen to a lot of Thin Lizzy? Which obviously they did. Uh, <laughs> but just just a little bit too pop for me on on the newer one but world's best american band struck the right balance i thought between the garage punk pop and the more polished stuff so white reaper world's best american band 2017 polyvinyl records my movie is something that i think probably everyone but me had seen as of two weeks ago and i saw it for the first time uh and loved it and it's the uh, jordan peele's get out from 2017 what a great movie. Um, it, it was billed as a horror movie. My wife is not a big horror movie fan, so I, I hadn't seen it. Uh, and so one, one night, late night, I just dialed it up and watched it. And it's a terrific movie. Uh, Jordan Peele won the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. And it's the, the premise is simple. A, a white upper class young woman takes her African-American boyfriend home to meet the parents and bad stuff starts happening. I, I wouldn't say it's a horror I saw, movie. I saw that. I didn't remember the title, but yeah, yeah. that's a weird little movie, man, but it was, it was a good, it was a good movie, but it's, weird. It's, I thought it was more kind of a, a suspense movie than a horror movie. It certainly was a horrific premise, but it just the pacing and the uneasiness and everything, you know, it, it was kind of, kind of a Hitchcockian in ways. And I just really liked it. So uh, my movie is Get Out. And my book, I think, is one that almost everyone has read because it's been on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list for approximately 39 years. But it's called Educated by Tara Westover. Uh, and uh, my, I give credit to my wife on this one because she read it and said, you should read this book. So I did. Uh, the, uh, it's, a, it's an autobiography. The author grew up in uh, Idaho with a fundamentalist... Um, Mormon father who didn't believe in the government, didn't believe in schools, ran a scrap metal yard. And it's just, uh, it's just full of disaster. Uh, so many bad things happen and never doctor, doctors, you can't, you couldn't call the doctor and you know, you got exposed brain and just horrific injuries. And it's just, it was just a really weird uh, uh, way to grow up. And then she talks so, about how she she wasn't schooled, and then she went on she she escaped and went to BYU and ended up in at Cambridge to get her PhD. But it is a it's a uh, it's a real fascinating read about uh, some off what it's like growing up off the grid and then deciding that's not the life for you. Uh, and uh, it's a it's a it's a good book. It's been out for quite a while, but I just got around to reading it, and uh, and so those are my picks. Yeah, man, good list this week. That is, that's a good list. I got to say, my take on Get Out was always, it's uh, it's uh, Guest Who's Coming to Dinner as a thriller. Well, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Except it was, you know, a little more Twilight Zone-y than that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, but yeah. Okay, Patrick, Patrick. What, what do you got for us this week, man? You know, what I got first is, since we're talking about instrumentals, we're going we're gonna to recommend a book about everybody's favorite instrument, Play It Loud, which is a history of the electric guitar. Nice. Uh, there, are, there are at least two titles called Play It Loud, but this one is by a couple of guys named Brad Tolinsky 
Kaczynski and Alan uh, DePerna. It is illustrated and it's really, really cool. And it also upends some conventional wisdom like Les Paul invented the electric guitar. Well, no, not no, really. There was, this guy, <laughs> there was this guy, there was this guy, George Deschamps in the 20s and 30s who came up with the first fully functional uh, electric guitar pickup and actually had it manufactured on guitars. Les Paul's big breakthrough was to come up with a solid body electric guitar. And the thing, I went looking for this book this morning because I want to read it again. I can't find it, damn it. But one of the things that struck me when I first read it a couple, three years ago is Leo Fender was almost the, uh, the Steve Jobs of electric guitar. He didn't play and uh, he was always pushing the technology and the engineering and the innovation to do these impossible things. All you have to do is look at the evolution of uh, the Telecaster to the Stratocaster and what an amazingly more versatile instrument the Stratocaster is. Jim would probably fight me on this. Yeah, but, uh, I'd fight you on that too. <laughs> but, 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 but Leo wanted... A case can be made. Leo was, Leo was always, always, always pushing uh, his team to do impossible things, not unlike Steve Jobs. So that doesn't necessarily mean that Gibson was the Microsoft, but they were they had a head start by about 40 years on Fender. I mean, Gibson started out making mostly mandolins in the late 1800s, I believe. Uh, and, and they were always a good bit more traditionalist. I don't mean to suggest that this book is a story about only those two companies. There's a lot more than that. So the book is called Play It Loud by Brad Talinsky and Alec Capena. Uh, my movie is, once again, not a movie. It's a limited series on Netflix called Song Exploder. I believe there's only four episodes. And they spend each episode breaking down a song. The one that resonated most with me was uh, R.E.M. talking about losing my religion. A song that just came about because Peter Buck saw a mandolin and thought, I wonder if there's a song in that. They were breaking out of sort of like cult status or theater level uh, uh, gigs when they made that record. And they turned it in and Peter Buck didn't want to be like this electric guitar god. And so they, they wrote Losing My Religion. And the record that it was on out of time sold like 18, 19 million copies. They were like instant worldwide phenomena. It's when when the video came out, especially Michael Stipe said, uh, you know, we were sort of like at a certain level when that record came out. And then I remember the video came out and I was walking up Fifth Avenue in New York and everybody rec recognized me and it happened in a day. <laughs> it made them one of the biggest bands in the world. They turned the record into uh, Warner's and they said, here you go. And by the way, Losing My Religion needs to be the first single. And Warner says, nope, 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 nope. And the band, because they were successful enough that they could wag the dog a little bit, prevailed. And that's what held that record to sell so many millions of copies. And you, you see all four members of the band interviewed individually. And they break down the tracks. They isolate the tracks. Bill Berry, the drummer, talks about how when he first heard the song, it had to have some sort of light percussion, like maybe congas or something. You hear Michael Stipe here, uh, his isolated vocal tracks, his lead track and his harmony tracks, which he hadn't heard in like 30 years. 
the whole series, but especially this episode, is a wonderful meditation on where songs come from, how they come about, how they come about in the studio, and how you release them into the world. They don't really belong to you anymore. You know, everybody who hears it is free to interpret it as they choose. So the show is called Song Exploder, available on a Netflix near you. Record. I'd like to, if you don't mind, Michael, reserve my time and pass on a record this week because if Rhino and UPS get their acts together, oh, Jim and I right. are gonna be, Yeah, we were talking about that yeah. yesterday. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna, Jim and I are going to be spending a whole lot of time talking about the same new uh, record release. That's it. Okay, he passed on his time. Uh all right. Before we jump into the guts of the show, man, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Eddie Van Halen, who passed away this past week. And boy, yeah. hadn't this hadn't this week, hadn't this year just sucked. It? Yeah. Well, I was thinking twenty twenty could kiss a hundred percent of my ass. <laughs> was how I was thinking about oh, it. Man, it's terrible. But uh, but uh, hey, Buff, man. I mean, you know, uh, not. None of us on the panel were, I mean, we weren't really into sort of, would you, what would you even call them, man? Glam rock, glam hard rock. I, I heard well, it, it depends I heard on what. Halen call a lot of different things. So, uh, yeah, we kind of a hard rock band idea. when they first started. Anyway, became kind of a pop band when Sammy Hagar came in. So what, uh, top so 40. what above, man, what, a, uh, you know, what's, what's kind of your take on Eddie Van Halen and his career and the impact he made and. Well, like oddly enough, I just, oddly enough, I did just write a, a little obituary type thing for Kudzu Magazine for the next issue, um, talking about Eddie and also uh, wrote one about Mac Davis, you know, but uh, Eddie Johnny, Van Halen. Johnny Nash also passed this week. Yeah, man. Who? Johnny Nash. Johnny Nash. Oh, I can see oh he did. Now the rain is, yeah. yeah. Oh, I yeah, did not know that. Wow, he was a he was a good one. Eddie Van Halen. Uh, needless to say, one of the most popular guitar players ever in the general mass media. Um, and I remember when the first Van Halen album came out and all like that. I was, I was interested in it because I had heard that Gene Simmons from Kiss was working with him and. Uh, so therefore, I thought it was going to be great, and it was good running with the devil and all that stuff. But uh, Eddie, I saw the band twice. I saw David Lee Roth's version and the Sammy Hagar version. But it didn't matter who was singing. Eddie was kind of like the star of the whole thing because he was just such an incredible guitar player. Now it's not my style, as far as my favorite kind of guitar to listen to you know the fast uh shredding right. and all that stuff but right. he was sure a master of it and the tapping the finger taps on the fretboard and uh and also when i was in college you know around that same time is when he played on that michael jackson record beat it right yeah man uh, boy that was a monster solo wasn't yeah, huge it? huge oh. And, uh, you know, give it to Eddie. I mean, you know, God, he was married to Valerie Bertinelli. If nothing else, that was, that's 100 <laughs> points right there. That, that on its own was impressive. Yeah, and then they have Wolfgang and uh, their son, Wolfgang. I follow him on Twitter and everything like that. And he's a 
of course, he ended up being the bass player in the Van Halen. But uh, Eddie, yeah, Eddie. It was great. The thing that gets me, uh, you know, I just hate, I just hate to lose any of these folks. And there's been so many lately, great musicians, actors, and just people I know that have died. And of course he fought, he, I didn't even know he was fighting cancer as long as he was, but he was fighting it for a long time. You know, I heard I heard something just this morning that you guys might not know. When they were playing vocalist musical chairs once again, Eddie asked Patty Smythe from Scandal to be oh, the lead singer. That would have been that uh, would have been an interesting I'd like that. ensemble. And uh, she just, was she was uh, she was eight months pregnant at the time and could, like, couldn't do yeah, it. Yeah, and she couldn't do it. You know, well, Patty, uh, Patty. Uh, I started writing back and forth with her on Twitter and she writes right directly back to me. It's so cool. And, uh, she's got her first album in 28 years. It came out yeah. yesterday. Yeah. That's, that's why I heard her on the radio this morning. Yeah. yeah and well, I hadn't, I didn't really realize, I didn't know she was with, uh, all these years with John McEnroe, but <laughs> I didn't know. I mean, they both had been married before, but, so, uh, Jim, man, your take, your take on Eddie Van Halen. Well, and this is coming from someone who's just Van Halen was not entirely to my tastes. Yeah, but I yeah, just think there's, I think there's no doubt whatsoever, inarguable, that Eddie Van Halen is the most important rock guitarist since Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, there's absolutely. just no, there's, I was, there's just I, no. I was going to say he's the most copied guy since Jimmy Page or Jimi Hendrix. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, um, you know, it's 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 a great loss. And he was a fantastic player. Yeah. Uh, he had a sense of humor. He he was just he was a natural. He was just a natural. His his solos were interesting. They weren't just medley, Plays medley, medley. Yeah. They were interesting solos. And uh, you know, and he was also a great rhythm player. You know, he was a great rhythm guitarist. Listen to Panama. It is an undeniable. Oh, song. yeah. Rhythm guitar is, uh, is undeniable. So it's a it's a real loss. It's a real loss. I mean, his band, you know, had lots of drama and histrionics. And, you know, there was a, you know, everyone's all split about when they fired Michael Anthony because he joined Sammy Hagar's band while they were on a break. And, you know, I, I apparently could be difficult to work with, but you know, I was browsing the guitar sites yesterday or the day before, and I found an unearthed recording of the Van Halen in like 1975 or 76 when they were playing a backyard party. Eddie was 20 years old. They were playing a Queen cover, and Eddie Van Halen at 20 years old was Eddie Van Halen. Right. He already. Had. Right. Well, that was the thing I was gonna say, man. You didn't see just a. You didn't see just a jump, a real spike in his ability or his playing over the course of his career hell he was that good the year they broke man exactly well yeah exactly. alex alex tells this story about how uh, in high school he'd go out on the weekends and party all the time and he'd say hey hey you want to go to this party and eddie's like now i'm gonna stay here and play guitar and alex would go to this party and get all messed up and come back six hours later and eddie'd still be sitting there on his bed practicing guitar <laughs> no what do, okay pat your take man oh well uh, i i I think I kind of blew my wad talking about how Patty Smythe was almost the new lead singer. I think I only saw them one time when, when Lee Roth was still in the band. And uh, 
and this was in Des Moines, Iowa, and I thought they were tremendously entertaining. I'm not sure I ever owned one of their records, but nor did I ever turn them off when they came on the radio because owned, he was going to own one of their records. Yeah. yeah. So, but I'm going to, I'm going to maybe get back to Eddie. Actually, no, I'm not. Uh, my son and I were talking before dinner last night about the instrumentals for the show and, uh, and, you know, just bouncing ideas off one another. And he said, well, of course, one of, one of those guys is going to say eruption. Right. What about, what about Spanish fly? So we play the eruption, and it's it's of course an, an explosive uh, performance. It's absolutely marvelous. And then we played Spanish Fly, and I was like, Joe, he's playing more notes than I can hear. Right. This is impossible. First, you have to conceive of being able to play like that. Then you have to actually play like that. <laughs> yeah. And that was and that 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 showed his Carlos Montoya influence too. That one. right, 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 yeah, right. And and also uh, and also he said that the, the reason he came up with you know all these all these tricks that now are so taken for granted, like the hammer-ons and pull-offs, he didn't necessarily invent them, but he just had to have a really extravagant style because he didn't have any money. He couldn't afford pedals. Right. He built. He built. He built that Frankenstrat. In his garage, man. Yeah. Out of bars. Yeah, yeah, and painted it with Schwinn bicycle paint. There you go. And speaking of eruption, one of the one of the things that I saw uh, in the in the aftermath of, of Eddie's death this week was someone had posted this, and this was an older video. It was uh, Dweezil Zappa during a Zappa plays Zappa show. Who's also talking, a badass guitar player? Talk, talking, yes, he is. Talking about the friendship between his dad Frank and Eddie Van Halen. And how Eddie Van Halen came to the sound check at, at Dweezil's school talent show when he was 12 and said, <laughs> You need a better guitar, and went home and got one of his guitars and gave it to him. I love that. Which kind of impressed everyone. That. And then Dweezil tells this great story, and then he plays Eruption. Oh, yeah. Just cool nails that. it. Check it, out. <laughs> check it out on YouTube. It's great. Well, I'm going to say one thing about Ben, and ben Halen and, and uh, and this, this to me is is a real interesting kind of thing. I considered the band uh, a party band. I mean, and like you said, Pat, it wasn't the kind of thing that yeah. you would, yeah. You, yeah. you wouldn't, you maybe not would buy their albums, but you never turned them off. And man, how many parties or, or, or just social gatherings right. were you at when a Van Halen tune came on? <laughs> All of them, right? Every single one of them you were yeah. ever at uh, a Van Halen tune. How rare is it? Man, how how rare is it for a straight up party band to have an in, have an innovative, you know, I mean, gun slinging musician like Eddie in the band? I'm, you know, I mean, there are other party bands and they're great players and they, and they got great stuff, but like like everybody was just saying here, man, he 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 reinvented some things, you know, and yeah, he did, and he, he did. became the gold standard, you know, for. Hell, two generations of rock guitarists. I mean, he is the gold standard, and and that came out of a party band. Right. His first, right. his first hit was uh, "You Really Got Me" a cover of the Kings. <laughs> you know, uh, that I, that's something I've always thought was was kind of interesting about. That I heard. Group. I mean, my my feet my feet was nothing but you know Eddie Van Halen remembrances, and a lot of them were from guitar players who said I wanted 
nothing but to sound just like Eddie Van Halen. And well, that's all anybody wanted. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even play. I didn't even play that kind of music or particularly like it. And I wanted to sound like that, man. You know why? Because <laughs> if you can play, if you can play like that, if you can play like that, you're gonna get laid. <laughs> no, you, well, that's part of it. And here's the other thing. You remember the. Uh, the gym was talking about uh, Panama and the rhythm parts on Panama. Or, mm -hmm. Remember the video? And he and he's doing the solo and he's walking down those cafeteria tables and he's holding the guitar kind of sideways and he's doing a thing with his head. He looked like he was having more damn fun. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and let me just say, if it were a choice between <clears throat> him to do that or being a porn star, I play the guitar every single time. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Cause like you said, Pat, if you put a guitar all, like that, you can get laid. <laughs> and he just seemed to be having the time he, he, he of his did. life. It wasn't until just it wasn't until just the past few years that I, of course, I knew he was an alcoholic and I knew he had cancer for a long time. So but I didn't know, <laughs> right? But I I didn't know how difficult he could be and how he was even even better than me at holding a grudge. Uh, <laughs> But you can't you can't take away that talent. No, man. And yeah. Well, that sounds anyway, good. Well, I'll tell you what, peace, guys. Eddie. That's uh certainly uh we've done our part to salute Eddie, that's for sure. Well, let's put a let's put the cherry on top here and play a uh, Van Halen song. Uh and right. we'll take a little bit of a break and we'll come right back. We're going to do a live version of Panama, all right? That's always been awesome. as far as Van Halen every time I would uh Hear this song, I always cranked it up to 11, you know. That's a great it's song. It's a really man. rocking song. All right, we'll be right back, and uh, y'all stick around. Thank you.
Of course, the late, great Eddie Van Halen with Sammy Hagar and all the guys in Van Halen, a live version of Panama. Of course, I love the David Lee Roth version of that and the Sammy version. So, I mean, you know, it's just a rocking tune and Eddie was a great player. We've already gone over all that for sure. But uh, it's, it's hard to lose these guys. It's just, uh, 
uh, this kind of kind of sucks. Twenty twenty yeah, has not been a good year so far. <laughs> kills a hundred percent of my ass. Yeah, exactly, a hundred percent. All right, well, we're going to talk about the greatest instrumentals ever, according to us, us four guys. Man, who could possibly know more than us? And who could possibly <laughs> know? I mean, if you you if you look up in the Funkin' Wagnalls. Guys who know instrumental music, it would have us listed. No, it wouldn't. Who's going first? I think Jim ought to go first. Well, let's do it. That's fine. I think, since you voted for him, let's do it that way. All right. All right. Well, um, Buff took one. I've got more than five, so I'm going to do an honorable mention. Buff took mine right at the top of the show, and that was Jessica by Allman Brothers. Uh Um, (laughs) Uh-huh. One of the, I mean, I love the harmony guitars, one of Dickie Betts' finest moments, and it just, that song plays like it is an instrumental, and it would be ruined with words. No, and that's one of the great things about it. It is just perfect as an instrumental. So that was, that was one, that was one of mine. I'm not going to count it as one of my five. Uh, <laughs> and I'll, the first one I have is, uh, it's, it's got a story behind it, and I'll try to be brief, but the song is called Cecilia Ann. As as done by the Pixies, uh, first track on their album Bossa Nova. It's a it's a surf song played by a you know alt rock punkish band. So it's got nice. all the it's it's got all the drive of the Pixies, but it's got that surf melody. And it was first on, and I don't have the name of the record, but it was first issued on a compilation of surf tunes from 1961 to 1964. Thing is, it really wasn't from 1961 to 1964. The story is that the record label that put it out, and I can't remember what it was, it was did, did reissues and that. But anyway, there was an engineer working there named Steve Hoffman. And they gave Hoffman did a bunch of these reissues and, and stuff. And every one record a year they gave to him. He said, You put out whatever you want. You can put out one record of your choice every year. He liked surf music. No one else at the label liked it or cared about it so he had total discretion and you know he got pipeline and he got some other stuff but he he thought there's not a real great song that i could get to kick off this record and he looked to one of his co-workers and said you want to come over tonight and see if we can write a surf song so they go over to to hoffman's place he said i got a four track recorder i got a couple mics let's mess around and they weren't getting very far and then his co-worker said hey I was just listening to this classical piece by this French composer named Gabriel Faure, and it was called Sicilienne. And he kind of took the melody to Sicilienne and made it into a surf song and called it Cecilia Anne. Oh, and they, nice. Yeah. And they, they credited it to some fictional surf rock band and put it as the first song on this surf compilation. And the Pixies got a hold of it and loved it and covered it. And, you know, Steve Hoffman has since become one of the uh, most respected mastering engineers in the business. And he runs probably the biggest music forum, discussion forum on, on the internet, the Steve Hoffman Music Forums. It's just a really weird story how they just made up this song. They recorded it in one night with two mics on a, on a four track and they kicked it off by literally kicking the reverb tank 
which as any musician knows, <laughs> makes, makes this horrendous, beautiful noise. Right. And, and the Pixies did the exact same thing. As a matter of fact, Hoffman thinks they just sampled his, his reverb tank kick and used it on their record. But anyway, the Pat version is fantastic. Check it out. It's since been what used. a great story. That is a wonderful story. I knew and, nothing of yeah. this. And so that's how Cecilia Ann came to be. And that's, that's my first pick. My next pick is a Link Ray song that isn't Rumble. Rumble. Uh, it's, it's Rumble. Called, it's Jack the Ripper. Ah, another another good track. <laughs> Always love it. it. It's faster, has more energy, and uh, just love Jack the Ripper. So that's my Link Ray pick. Uh, my next pick is a Dick Dale song that's not Miserloo, uh, which is Let's Go Trippin'. I first heard yeah, both Let's yeah. Go Trippin' and Miserloo as covered by the Beach Boys on their Surfing USA album, and then went back and got the Dick Dale versions. And Miserloo is great. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from it, but it's a pretty obvious pick. Whereas Let's Go Trippin', I just right. think it's just a really, really cool uh, uh, surf instrumental. Number four, uh, going, going the soul route, Soul Finger by the Barkays. Great horn-driven ah, funk instrument. Yeah. The Barkays were also more or less Otis Redding's backup band. Um, four of them were killed in the plane crash that killed Otis Redding. Otis they had, Redding. They, they had recorded Soul Finger before, the, uh, before that crash. They, they regrouped and reformed uh, and put themselves back together after the crash with some new members, obviously. But to me, Soul Finger is their, is their high point, and it's just one of the great soul instrumentals. Um, the honorable mention soul instrumental, because I figured everyone would pick it, is, is Green Onions by Booker T and the MGs. And, and Booker T Jones on, on organ and Steve Cropper on guitar are stars on that record. But if you, the next time you hear it, listen to Al Jackson on the drums and how he lays that, that ride cymbal groove. That groove is so deep, you could just, you could just bathe in it. It is just fantastic. Uh, and so my number five pick, though, is my buddy Dan Fort, a.k.a. Tysco Del Rey, and his arrangement called Seville, which is his arrangement of the, uh, of the theme of uh, Rossini's uh, opera, Barber of Seville. Uh, Dan, a.k.a. Tysco, he's a great writer. You could have he, picked anything he plays, man. He's a, Any he's song a, that he does, does would be great. Yeah. He's a columnist for Vintage Guitar Magazine, writes a lot, used to be a one of the editors, a guitar player, and then in his guise as Tysco Del Rey is an ace instrumental guitarist, not just yep. surf, but all different kinds. And uh, so that's my number five pick, Seville by Tysco Del Rey. Pick up the many moods of Tysco, Tysco Del Rey if you haven't. Um, great wide variety of instrumental stuff and a great band. Lisa Pankratz on drums and Casper Rawls is playing guitar on it. Just a great record. Casper so, can play a little. Casper can play a little is right. So there you go. There's mine. Billy Eli, how about you next, man? Okay. Um, and, you know, I'm staying. I, I got out of genre, but I wanted to pick one country one. And uh, I actually have two. I'm only going to put one on the list. Uh, I figured, I, I thought Jim might pick Buckaroo. Uh, I came close. I didn't and, and, but so because I thought he might pick that, I have that as an honorable mention in my country ish. My country-ish uh, instrumental is uh, Nashville West, the birds, and the phenomenal Clarence White. And off that, off that uh, live album, Untitled, 
and he's playing that telly with that B bender. And I mean, you you can you you can feel that groove marching up your back when, you, when you've got it playing, man. Uh, and then after that, I I didn't uh, I, I I tried to spread the I tried to spread the genres around a, a little bit. Uh, I picked Little Wing, and Hendrix did that, and Stevie Ray did that, and uh, uh, hell, probably ever blues guitar player ever did that. So it's kind of an obvious pick, but uh, I tell you something that's cool to do sometime, man. Cue up the Hendrix version and cue up the Stevie Ray Vaughan version, and listen to them back to back in any particular order, man. And it, it's uh, the the just the the wonderfulness of that composition. Well. You can really hear it, man. I mean, it, it knocks your ears out. And don't forget Derek and the Dominoes. Did I? Yeah, I I didn't know that they. I I wasn't. I didn't know for sure that they had done it. But yeah, like I said, I think probably every guitar hero has done that. But that's the only. That's the only. Uh, you know, kind of mainstream. Everybody knows it. One that I picked. Number three was uh the Malag Malaguena. Am I saying that right? Uh, Rick Clark. It's a Spanish, Spanish flamenco style thing, which was different than almost anything else that he ever did. But my God, is that a pretty song, man! And uh, and hearing him play it, you you get uh, you get a real feel for what a you know what a great musician he was. I mean, he was great on a banjo and a guitar and all that stuff, all that hee haw stuff. I mean, he was obviously phenomenal, but it you, it's easy to it's easy for that to get glossed over in that sort of, you know, uh, rural overalls persona thing that he did there. And, uh, and when, and when he, when he does that Spanish piece, it, it's, yeah, it, it's just, uh, it's phenomenal. Uh, here's an obvious one, but it, it's pretty old. So, uh, there may be a lot of people that, uh, did don't, that won't remember it. And it's Mason Williams classical gas. And uh, anytime you think that that's not a complex and very deep piece of music, do one of two things. Let's do it with a set of headphones on or try to play it. Hell, just try to just play the first 40 seconds of it and tell me how it works out for you, man. I mean, it, uh, it, it's one of those things where when you just listen to it, you're like, oh, that's pretty simple. And then when you start really listening to it, you're like, no, there's nothing simple about it. Uh, and that's nope, number four. Nope, nope. And for number five, I went way out of genre. And this is not a uh, this is not a guitar piece. Uh, it was a radio hit. It was a I don't even know what year. It was a theme to a television show written by Henry Mancini, and it's the theme from Peter Gunn with the bass and those and and those great great horns, man. Man, he featured muted horns probably more than anybody anywhere ever man. You know, and everybody even if you don't know it was a television show anybody hears that bump bum bump bum bump bum bump bum 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 you're like oh yeah i know that yeah you know, and those are my five and i have some honorable mentions that i'll uh uh i'll get to at the end because if I don't want to. I don't want to steal anybody's thunder and have one of my honorable mentions be, you know, somebody's somebody's choice. So, 
All right. That's a good list. That's a good list. Excellent. Excellent well, list. I'm going to go ahead and jump in and do mine, I think, <laughs> um, and save. Uh, Patrick's is always so interesting. I like to save his for the end. His, his are interesting, but I think that's because Patrick's just weird. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Well, right, uh, I'll, I, once I'll again, I had a hard time with this category, like, uh, you know, like everybody. Right. Uh, I kind of had to just pick songs that resonated with me, you know, from things in my right. past. or You know, that's just kind of the way it works. I guess we associate songs with, uh, you know, part parts of our lives and stuff. And my first one, uh, my number five, is from... One of the happy years, I would say that the formative and happiest years for me as far as discovering music and everything about music probably was from 1971 to 76. So in 73, um, at least two, if not three, no, no, at least three, if not four of my five came out. Uh, Number five is a tie by... uh, two songs by the same artist uh, and his name was Billy Preston and uh, in 73 he did Out of Space Out of Space and then he did Space Race and both of them were funky instrumentals and kind of like Edgar Winter he incorporated the synthesizer into the music and that was something fresh and different for us to hear and um, I just I remember out of space so well because personally i remember riding uh the himalaya at the fair with a a girlfriend you know and that was the ride that would sling your girl all the way up into your lap you know while you were riding around and they were playing out of space they were either playing i remember that ride played really loud rock music while you were going around yeah yeah they did and then it would go backwards (laughs) oh my gosh yeah. But we, yeah, we they, they were doing out of space, and uh, I'm just a singer in a rock and roll band. Those are the two that they played a lot on the Himalaya. But anyway, Billy Preston, Out of Space, and Space Race, two really good ones from a really great keyboard player and a great songwriter, singer, and everything else. Number four, you know, some of these are going to be repeats, but that's just the way it goes. Booker T and the MGs, Great Green Onions, 1962. Man, a- of course, Booker T and the MGs being the house band for Stax Records, they played on albums. I mean, excuse me, songs, albums, singles, everything by Otis Redding, Wilson Pickett, everybody. But their, uh, of course, their huge hit, um, Green Onions, that they had uh, f- dr- featured the, the Hammond organ of Booker T Jones, and of course, Steve the Colonel Cropper on his telecaster and i mean uh, jim talked about that already but it's just a, a classic and like so many other people probably some of you even uh, that was the first song i ever played with a band a band it's like hey let's play green onions and i'm like what is that oh you hadn't heard green onions so we you know we learned that and then we learned wipe out which <laughs> Every drummer hates to hear somebody ask for Wipeout. Our drummer once got to the thing where he would say, 
If you want to hear Wipeout, give me give the band a twenty dollar tip and we'll play it. Yeah, twenty dollar <laughs> tip and we'll play it. And it's pretty much, I mean, that cause that's just a, you know, and he could do a really great job. My number three, uh, is from 1969 and one of the greatest composers in rock and roll, Mr. Frank Zappa, uh, a song called Peaches and Regalia from the mostly instrumental album, Hot Rats. It's a very melodic innovative uh, avant-garde jazz fusion piece if there was ever any doubt about frank's genius as a, as a composer that one song blows it away but i mean he was a he could write funny songs and serious songs and instrumentals that just amazing and and as a as a composer and basically he would have made a good you know, orchestra leader had he come along a uh, hundred years earlier, but I mean, he was just a, it was just a innovative guitar player. And, um, that, that piece of music, Peaches and Regalia is just, uh, complex and just amazing. I just love it. Uh, I love everything uh, that Zappa did instrumentally and uh, a lot of the other songs as well. But anyway, that's it. Number three. Number two could have easily been my number one, and number one could have easily been my number two. So, number two is the Edgar Winter Group and Frankenstein, 1973, from They Only Come Out at Night, summer of 73, the local radio station in Spartanburg, WORD, was playing that song about once every hour. Uh, we'd never heard anything quite like it with that boot synthesizer wind down part and everything. And so many of my friends were buzzing about um, saying that it was a uh, sexual song, comparing the song Frankenstein to having sex and having orgasm. And I was like, well, I guess you can look at it that way, you know. But at 16, I wasn't thinking about that at all. I was just thinking how cool it was. <laughs> and Edgar Winter with the keyboard strapped around his neck. I just thought he was the coolest thing since sliced bread. Frankenstein. My number one has to be always, it's my ringtone. It's been my ringtone for 10 years. The Allman Brothers Band, Jessica. Dickie Betts, just an amazing composer of instrumentals and songs with words. But instrumentals like Elizabeth Reed and Little Martha, etc. Jessica always rises to the top and uh, it's just one one of my favorite. Probably my, it is my favorite instrumental of all time from 1973, uh, Brothers and Sisters. Chuck Lavelle's classic piano runs and those twin lead guitars. It don't get no better. Um, I did have mentioned as honorable mentions, uh, Walk Don't Run by The Ventures and uh and wipe out <laughs> but there i mean there's so many there's just so many but anyway that's mine and now without further ado you know him you love him you can't live without him patrick beach it's it's time for the interesting part all right i'll try to be interesting of course speaking of booker t and the mgs i want to direct your attention to time is tight <clears throat> 
if that band had recorded either Green Onions or Time is Tight, they would be regarded as one of the greatest instrumental bands in history. Fantastic stacks house band. The cool thing is those songs have completely different grooves, but you can instantly tell it is the same band. So that's, uh, that's my number five. I'm cheating on this one. My number four is anything by Jeff Beck and Eric Johnson. Yes, I said them in the same sentence together. Their uh, weapon of choice, choice is the Fender Stratocaster, and they're really, really picky about tech specs, and they will blow your mind. Jeff Beck and Eric Johnson, absolutely anything. I'm kind of proud of this one because I always loved it, and I was fairly confident none of you guys would think of it. But it's the first song off the Reverend Horton Heat's album, Liquor in the Front. It's a, it's a smoking uh, psychobilly instrumental called Big Sky. And I was like, the first time I heard that, I, was, I had been a fan of the band for a number of years before that record came out. And then they lead off the album with that. And I was like, wow, this dude can really play guitar and play it in an, an exceptionally tasteful way that serves the song and shows off the rest of the band too. Um, speaking of lead off tracks, I had two contenders for a Bob Mould song. <laughs> One was Reoccurring Dreams off Who's uh, Who's Zen Arcade, possibly the finest, if not the only example of acid hardcore, backwards tracks and all kinds of crazy stuff. But the other one is the leadoff track from his first solo album workbook called Sunspots, which is an instrumental. The guitar sound is fairly clean. Uh, it's polite enough that they used it as bumper music on national public radio back in the day. <laughs> and as soon as I got this record and played that first track, you know, it was as if to telegraph to the world, this is not a Husker Du album. Husker Du is dead. That's my number two. My number one, and I want to thank you guys very much for leaving this to me, is a song that it was my goal in life some years ago to have every single recorded version of it. But of course, that would take several lifetimes. The song is the surf rock classic Pipeline. And the version I want to highlight and recommend is by Agent Orange. They just kill it. They've got grit. They've got speed and they've got spirit. And Jim, weren't they from San Diego or aren't they from San Diego? Uh, I thought Orange County, but somewhere in Southern California, south of LA. That, that, that might be Orange County, but that, that to my ears is the definitive version of uh, Pipeline. Hey, recap your list, Pat. I had to take a call from my son Griffin, who <laughs> it was really short. He had to have a crown put on yesterday. And so, He's walking around saying teeth Ouch. and holding his head going okay, which is what he does when he has a headache. But he's pointing at his mouth and going okay. He's telling us ah. his teeth hurt. Ah. Anyway, that's rough, man. Re recap, recap your list. I had I time is first three. I had time is tight by Booker T. Mm -hmm. uh, anything by Jeff Beck and Eric Johnson. Oh, very good. Yeah. The leadoff track from the Reverend Horton Heats album, Liquor in the Front, called Big Sky. Yeah. The leadoff track from Bob Mould's first yeah, solo album. Yeah, I, I was there. I, I picked it. I, I got back when you did and the Pipeline Bob by Mould. Agent Orange. 
Oh, uh, yeah. Honorable mention, man. I had uh, Europa by Carlos Santana. Yeah. Y'all know that. Y'all know that one, man. Great yeah. guitar anthem. Uh, real tasty stuff. And uh, yeah. And that was. That was. I don't know, man. I think we came up with some pretty good lists. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, uh. I can see by the clock on the wall that it's time to say bye. The uh, everybody go, everybody go listen to Cecilia Ann. Hey, yeah, we, exactly. Before we uh, before we sign off for the week, I'd like to wish happy birthday to Jim Hemphill, my bandmate and I, one of our uh, co-panelists here. His birthday, you uh, it's on Tuesday, isn't it? Tuesday, ten thirteen. Sixty no, yeah. years old. 16, correct. 16. I do, I do what's funny, and he looks younger than me. Yeah, he does look young. Looks well, a lot younger, younger since he shaved he off his Colonel Sanders, too. And he got rid of his Colonel Sanders. He looks like a teenager now. But uh, he, he was Jim. Jim was always the cute beetle. Oh, yeah, 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 that's what it is. It's that hair, is what it is. All right, well, uh, Thanks, fellas. And uh, everybody, next week we'll be talking about well, it's got it categories. Up. Turn it up. And it's like five songs that when you hear them on the radio, you just have to lean over and turn that thing up to 11. Man, man. Everybody's experienced that with certain songs. There are some sure. that you reach over and turn the radio off, but we'll do them later. <laughs> yeah, and so... And and I'll have some overlap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, all right. There, there well, that's it. That's it for now. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And thank you, Billy, Pat, and Jim. Appreciate it, man. All right, man. See y'all later. later.
Talk about a classic. The Edgar Winter Group from 1973 from the album They Only Come Out at Night. And, of course, that's Frankenstein. One of the first uh, records ever to uh, feature a Moog synthesizer as the lead instrument. That's pretty cool, right? All right. Well, that's going to kind of wrap it up for the Kudzu Radio Hour for today. Uh, We certainly appreciate you listening in to the program. Uh, and the program today, of course, was brought to you by the Boxmasters and the Boxmasters' new album that's coming out really soon called Light Rays, an outstanding album that features the hit singles Satellite Guy, Breathe Easy, Light Rays, and their latest single called Learn to Be. In my opinion, it's the band's best album ever. It's going to be available very soon on vinyl, CD, or download. So be sure to check it out, man. And uh, keep up with the Boxmasters. they got a big tour coming next summer of the United States and Europe. So uh, for all things Boxmasters, go to the website, theboxmasters.com. That's theboxmasters.com. And also follow them on social media like Facebook and Instagram. Fun stuff, man. Fun for days program is also brought to you by our friends at Springer Mountain Farms. Fresh chicken responsibly raised on family farms with no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, no animal byproducts, none of that junk. Get more information or order online at SpringerMountain.com, SpringerMTN.com. Not only is Springer Mountain chicken healthier for you, it also tastes really good. So we do thank the Boxmasters and Springer Mountain Farms for sponsoring the Kudzu Radio Hour. And I want to thank uh, my partners in crime, Billy Eli, Patrick Beach, and Jim Hemphill. And we will see you guys next week, hopefully, if everything goes as planned. And uh, in the meantime, just keep on rocking, baby, and we will see you down the road. Thanks.